0: Good morning, and welcome to our Good Friday message. It's a strange name, isn't it? Good Friday. What can be good about the day on which the saviour of your faith, the saviour of the world, the person upon whom your very belief rests, was crucified? Where is the good in that? Well, Good Friday is a day, of course, when there a lot went on before the actual crucifixion. And this morning, I just want to spend a few moments focusing on the guilt of Jesus. We don't often talk about the guilt of Jesus, do we? But surely there was some guilt there somewhere. After all, he was crucified, he was tried by a series of different trials. They all eventually got to the decision that he could be passed from one one group of people to the next until eventually he was nailed to the cross and no one did anything to stop it. So surely we can find some evidence of some sort of guilt somewhere. Let's have a look. You see, last night we celebrated, didn't we, um, Maundy Thursday, we remembered Jesus' instruction to us to do this in remembrance of me, to share the bread and the wine together. Shortly after Jesus said those words, he prayed, he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples and then he prayed for the, the, the rest of the world, for believers across the world in general. So you and I were prayed for by Jesus on that night. After that, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and his disciples. And there, Jesus prayed. He prayed so earnestly that the Bible says that that drops of blood came out as he swept blood in earnest prayer. We can't imagine what he was feeling. But we do know that we see glimpses of his humanity as he called out to God, asking for the cup of suffering to be taken away from him. Asking God, in effect, not to have to go through the plan that he knew lay ahead of him. We see his obedience. We see that he knew there was no choice but to go through. And so, willingly, he stands when he hears a group of soldiers coming to arrest him. He kisses his betrayer, Judas. And he goes to face what lay ahead. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 26, starting at verse 57, we read these words. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. This trial before the high priest is not just recorded by Matthew, but it's also accounted for in Luke and in John's Gospel as well. This was the first trial that Jesus faced. Matthew goes on. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. Let's just pause there. False evidence is not evidence. False evidence is lies. And therefore, that's not evidence of Jesus' guilt. Even if it were, Matthew tells us, they couldn't find any false evidence, though many false witnesses came forward. Eventually, the high priest, Caiaphas, takes the direct route. He says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is just as direct in his response. Yes. Yes. It is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. So there's no guilt there. There's no evidence of wrongdoing. Jesus was asked a direct question and gave an honest, direct answer. Not the answer that the high priest wanted to hear. But certainly there's no evidence of guilt in this trial. When we jump ahead to look at Luke's account, we're told that Jesus was asked If you are the Christ, tell us. The answer that Luke recalls is slightly different. If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Are you the Son of God? they asked. He replied, You are right in saying I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. And then finally, John recalls a similar scene where Jesus is brought before Caiaphas where he's asked the questions and Jesus replies to Caiaphas, the high priest I've spoken openly to the world I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together I said nothing in secret why question me? ask those who heard me Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you speak to the high priest? he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus said, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And so the first trial comes to an end the jews are convinced that jesus has spoken blasphemy and is therefore qualifies for death under jewish law but of course the romans were governing the area at the time and so they couldn't actually make a decision to crucify anyone until they had the blessing of the roman representative the governor in the area who at the time was pontius pilate so let's have a look and see what evidence of guilt Pilate found in Jesus Matthew records that Jesus stood before the governor before Pilate and was asked are you the king of the Jews yes it is as you say then Pilate asked him don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you Jesus made no reply He didn't need to give account for himself. Yes, he'd heard the testimony brought against him, but he wasn't going to deny it. He was who he claimed to be. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, we're told, in Matthew 27. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate gets this message from his wife. She describes Jesus as an innocent man. Not because she's met him, not because she's tried him, but because she's had a dream. And she knows him to be innocent. But still the chief priests and the elders persuade Pilate. They keep shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Why, asks Pilate in verse 23, what crime has he committed? But they just shouted louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Luke records Pilate's words, equally as strong. He recalls, Pilate announcing to the chief priests and the crowd, "I find no basis for a charge against this man." According to Luke, Pilate then sent Jesus to be tried by Herod. Herod's quite excited when he hears that Jesus is coming to his palace. He thinks, "This great miracle worker, He's going to turn up and do, do tricks and perform miracles. Great! Like a biblical Paul Daniels turning up on your doorstep. Herod is quite excited. Luke recalls from what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see Jesus perform some miracles. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked Jesus. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. The so Pilate finds that having thought he'd got rid of the problem, the problem has returned to him. He says to the people again, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I find no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. The theme of of Pilate's judgment is consistent. In Luke 23 verse 20 we're told that Pilate was wanting to release Jesus and so appealed to them again but they kept shouting crucify him, crucify him. For a third time he spoke to the crowd. Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and released. But still the crowd insist. They're, they're, they're being stirred up. There's a spirit of rebellion in them. And eventually Pilate realises that he could have a political incident on his hands if he doesn't give them what they want. And so eventually, having given them the choice, he decides to release the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrender Jesus to their will. Still, no evidence of Jesus' guilt. John recalls a similar scene with Pilate. We see Pilate insisting in John 18, verse 38. Pilate insists, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Chapter 19, verse 4. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. A couple of verses later, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Finally, Pilate says to Jesus, Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the only one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The Jews kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, as Pilate tried to set Jesus free. So throughout these trials we don't find any evidence of Jesus' guilt time and time again we're told that he's innocent, that there's no charge against him, that he's blameless. Herod doesn't find any evidence. Pilate doesn't find any evidence. The only evidence that the high priest finds is Jesus' straight answer to a straight question. It's interesting as well when we're talking about innocence and guilt That in Matthew's Gospel, we're given a scene in amongst the trials where even the betrayer acknowledges that Jesus is innocent. In chapter 27 of Matthew's Gospel, we're told "When when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? they replied. That's your responsibility. You see, the chief priests and the elders were the ones who had bought Judas. They're the ones who had paid him off. Given him 30 pieces of silver so that he would hand Jesus over to them. He had done that. But then he was racked with guilt because he knew that Jesus was innocent. The guilt lay on Judas, not Jesus. But he goes back to the chief priests and the elders. He tries to undo what he's done by giving them back the money. But of course they don't have the power to forgive sin. They don't have the power. But Jesus does. The only person who can forgive sin is God the only person on earth with that power was the Son of God. The chief priests and elders couldn't do it. In the same way today, I can't do it. None of the ministry team can do it. Not Ian, not Gary, not Charlotte, not even Ian Moore. Jesus is the only one who can lead us to forgiveness of sin. He intercedes for us. And so when Judas went to the high priest and the elders, he stood no chance. They shun him. He throws the 30 pieces of silver into the temple and goes and hangs himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said it is against the law to put this money into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. So even the actions of the chief priests and the elders were used by God to fulfil prophecy, to show us that Jesus was who he claimed to be. As we look at the trials of Jesus, there is consistently the word innocent, the words no charge, the words blameless used time and time again to describe him. And so, what was he guilty of? He was guilty of telling the truth, he was guilty of being the Son of God. The Son of God was sent into this world to go through exactly what Jesus went through. To die on the cross. To suffer. To pay the price for your sin and for my sin. That's what he did on the cross on Good Friday. That is why we remember that it is Good Friday. Because we experience good through Jesus' suffering. We experience the benefit of being reconciled to our Heavenly Father. There's a strange scene in John's Gospel in chapter 12 where Jesus is speaking to a group of Greeks with his disciples he's not just just speaking to Jews he's speaking to Gentiles as well we read in John 12 chapter 23 Jesus replied to them the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was talking about his own death. I find it interesting that he says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of glory, I think of the the emotional outpouring that comes. Once a victory has been secured, it's a moment of triumph, a moment when we claim victory. But Jesus doesn't use glory in that sense. Jesus talks about the Son of Man being glorified on the cross. At Jesus' lowest moment, at the point where his suffering and pain was the most intense, he talks about being glorified. Now my heart is troubled, he says. He knows what lays ahead of him. Make no mistake, the cross was not a surprise to Jesus. The trials were not a surprise. The, the beating, the flogging, they were not a surprise to Jesus. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus knew full well he had the option of getting out of it at any point in his life. He could have disobediently fled. He could have turned his back on God's plan for him. He could have gone elsewhere, but he chose not to. Because he knew that the future of mankind rested on his shoulders. He knew that him going through with the plan that God had in store for him was, was paramount to the future of the human race. It was of such importance that his suffering was made worthwhile because it achieved our salvation. And so what guilt is there in Jesus? There is the guilt of being honest of standing up for who he was of not denying that he stood for God of not denying that he was the son of God the guilt of of going ahead with God's plan even though he felt that even though it was against what the world wanted I don't know about you but I take great heart from that because sometimes in life we have to go through great trials We have to stand before a a group of people who who mock us, who threaten us, who rebuke us unfairly, who accuse us with no evidence. Sometimes we go through experiences that we don't understand. We can call out to God and say, "Why why are you allowing this to happen? What have I done? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about Moses having a veiled face. Wearing a veil to hide from the people of Israel the fact that his glory was beginning to fade. That the light that he'd seen was beginning to fade. And Paul says... Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, with unveiled faces all reflect the lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit so you see this process of transformation this process of coming to glory of being glorified is what good friday is all about Jesus went through the process of being glorified on the cross. He was without sin. He was blameless. No one could find any fault with him, even though they tried and tried and tried. I don't know about you, but if I was put before three juries, they'd find a lot of fault in me. As I'm sure they would you too. Because none of us are perfect. Because we we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so when we go through times of suffering, when we go through times of hardship, when we go through times where we think, why is this happening to us? We can take heart from the story of Good Friday. We can take heart from the suffering of Jesus because we know that the time came for him to be glorified and the process by which he was glorified was one of hardship and difficulty and injustice. We too are going through a process throughout our time on earth of being prepared to be made perfect by the blood of Jesus to be made perfect so we can enter heaven and spend eternity in the presence of our Father Jesus died for you and he died for me and we can give thanks for that forever let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for this day and thank you Lord that we can read your word and be reminded that Jesus was without fault, that he was without guilt, that he was as pure as pure can be and that because of that he was a suitable sacrifice to pay the price for my sin, for the sin of everybody in this world. And we thank you, Lord, that through his sacrifice we will one day be made perfect again so that we too can enter into the heavenly, heavenly realm, see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father and bow before you and give thanks for your Son. So Lord, on this day, help us not to feel sad but instead renew our hope, refill us with your Spirit and give us strength, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord Amen Have a great day today give thanks to Jesus for what he did for us and remember we'll see you again on Easter Sunday morning when our hope will be reborn when we can look to the future refreshed, revitalised and with joy because Jesus rose again Amen